Welcome to the Burnett Breakdown, where I, Hunter Burnett, keep up with the news so that you don't have to. This week, we're going to be talking about KBJ, new asylum rule changes, and the SEC's new climate change disclosure rules. This week, Ketanji Brown-Jackson has testified in front of the Senate. Uh, This is the new Supreme Court nominee that uh, President Biden announced. And uh, in her hearings, it's been uh, endless hours of back and forth between uh, uh, congressmen, senators, and uh, her. I cannot stand these things. I think they are such a waste of everyone's time. All it consists of is uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, or whoever the nominee is, not just her, just trying their best not to say anything, uh, to basically not answer every question and to find an answer without actually answering it. At the same time, all of the senators just try to get a clip of, of them saying or asking, you know, a tough question if they are in uh, against the nominee or a you know softball question or defending the nominee if they are for the nominee. So it's just a circus show and uh, it's a waste of everyone's time. What I think they should do if they're actually serious about uh, the process of uh, um, uh, consenting and advising uh, the Senate is, then they should. We should just get rid of the cameras. I think we should get rid of the cameras in general uh, in Congress, but get rid of the cameras in particular for uh, uh, hearings like this. What that would do is it would base it would just limit this the circus. Um, I would allow reporters so that the um, uh, public could know what was going on if they really wanted to, uh, but there would not be kind of the entertainment uh, value. In fact, there was a picture of uh, Ted Cruz right after he. And they'll ask tough questions, allegedly, uh, scrolling Twitter on his phone about uh, and looking at his mentions to, uh, right after, you know, his his um, big scene with uh, Katanji Brown, J- Brown Jackson. So, uh, again, I, it's just a waste of time. I, I don't want, think Congress is the place for entertainment. I think it's the place to get business done. And if we remove the cameras in a process like this, that would greatly help. Uh, with all that said, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson is uh, likely to be on track. The Senate is likely to be on track to vote next month on her uh, nomination. And uh, Republicans do not plan on delaying or blocking her confirmation. So uh, she should be uh, good to go as far as long as nothing comes out or nothing drastic happens or changes in the next month or so. In other news, on Monday, the SEC, that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, released or proposed rule changes that would require companies to include certain climate-related disclosures. So I'm going to run through a list of some of these uh, disclosures, and then I'll kind of talk about them after I I run through them real quick. So uh, some of the disclosures are uh, climate-related risks that are reasonably likely to have a material impact on their business, certain climate-related financial statement metrics in a note, Disclosure of direct greenhouse gas emissions, disclosure of indirect emissions from purchase electricity, and emissions from upstream and downstream activities. Now, I think my uh, opinion and my perspective on regulation has been largely uh, laid out there on this podcast so far. But just again, I think regulation is, for the most part, usually stupid. I think it usually leads to inefficiencies in the market. And I think the government sucks at pretty much everything it does, including regulation. Um, in particular, some of these uh, regulations that I really don't like. First of all, I don't like the disclosures. Always sound nice. They always sound nice and pretty. Like, uh, oh, we just want more information. We just want you know people to have more information, especially investors. We just want investors to have more information. And I mean, if you've noticed on the podcast, I continually will uh, hark on SEC. Uh, 
proposed rule changes or regulation because the SEC seems to always want to regulate. And SEC regulations are typically the regulations that people see and they read or they don't really care that much about. You know, they like they don't like business regulations, but they're okay with, you know, large corporation or public corporation regulations for whatever reason. But nonetheless, um, so I particularly don't like SEC regulations because they're the ones that are always, you know, overlooked. Um, but some of these regulations in particular are just nonsensical. Uh, again, disclosures sound nice, but disclosures, what what it, disclosures are is uh, they are the a company having to release information. However, that information has to be gathered, has to be written down, has to be organized, it has to be researched. Like there's a lot of work, a lot of manpower, a lot of hours that go into a lot of these disclosures that companies have to give. So they sound nice and pretty, but at the core of it, it is a company having to pay people and waste resources and people having to waste their time uh, jumping through hoops of releasing these disclosures. For example, okay, if if you have read any, uh, we'll just call it uh, any report, any quarterly report or annual report that any public company gives out, you will, uh, if you haven't done this, then please go do this and you'll see what I'm talking about. But they will, uh, they have to le- list all of the uh, r- possible risks of their uh, company. Uh, so risk, risks of, uh, you know, that that could potentially um, come true or come to fruition. And some in some cases, these risks are 20 pages long of people saying that everything that could possibly go wrong with this company. And so it is just 20 pages. And here's the thing. It's 20 pages that almost no seasoned or veteran or knowledgeable invest investor ever reads. They largely skip it because all it says is essentially all the things that could go wrong, including things that the likelihood is very small. But in order to meet these federal regulations, these disclosure regulations, the SEC sets, they have to go through them. So please go through one of those risks-related disclosures in a report, and you will see just how – think about how long that took someone, how much work that is. Now, I'm sure once you do it once, you can kind of rinse and repeat after that. But that is such a waste of time, a waste of resources. And that is essentially what the SEC is proposing here. Disclosures based on uh, risks from the climate. Uh, First of all, we have no idea. We have guesses. But again, we have no real idea how impacted companies materially will be uh, due to climate-related risks. Also, Okay, this disclosure on direct greenhouse gas emissions. Direct greenhouse gas gas emissions is going to be a little easier. That's like directly what the company can figure out and calculate uh, how much greenhouse gas uh, emissions that they have. However, the other one, disclosure of indirect emissions from purchased electricity, that's going to be much tougher. So in other words, you have to figure out what uh, in the process of your getting your uh, electricity, what uh, emissions were given off. And even crazier is the emissions from upstream and downstream activities. So in other words, you're a business. So we'll take, you know, the kind of a, a an example I like to use with my students is a, a pencil. Okay, so one pencil. You would have to go through, if you're going to do upstream and downstream activities and the emissions uh, released, you would have to go through your entire 
a supply chain. You would have to go through uh, the mining of the graphite, the cutting down of the wood, the uh, the uh, forming and the, the mining of the metal on the pencil, the uh, mining or whatever of the rubber on the pencil to make the eraser. Then you would have to calculate the emissions to transport all of those goods. And then the emissions released by all the companies that, um, you know, shape and mold and, and turn the, the, you know, raw materials into something a little more usable. And then you'd have to calculate the emissions to uh, to for a factory to basically turn all of that stuff into a pencil, and then you'd have to figure out the emissions for the packaging and to uh, you know transporting the pencils from the factory to the store. Like this entire process, you would have to calculate the greenhouse emissions in that entire process, which is not only a waste of resources and time, but is completely and utterly impossible. You cannot one company cannot figure all of that out and it be even remotely accurate. So all that this is, again, this sounds pretty. It sounds awesome. It sounds like, well, why wouldn't you want investors to have more information? All it is doing is wasting time and resources that companies could be reinvesting in better, wiser, more efficient ways to improve everyone's lives along the way. Instead, they're going to have to meet these regulations, and these regulations are going to be not taken serious by any investor because any investor is going to know that these numbers are basically a best guess probably made up and not really to be taken serious. So I cannot stand these sorts of regulations. This is a terrible regulation. This is going to just be a nuisance to so many different companies. And not to mention, I just don't think this is the SEC's role. Why is the SEC forcing companies to come up with some number about greenhouse gas emissions? Why? Why is that a disclosure that, that the SEC feels like they need investors to know? If I don't care at all about a greenhouse gas emission, that the greenhouse gas emissions that a company gives off, why does the SEC make that company tell me? That doesn't make any sense. And so if they really want to... So, if they really want to pass regulations like this, and if there is a huge uh, uh, upswell or popularity amongst investors, a demand amongst investors to make something like this uh, happen, then go through Congress. Okay, It doesn't need to go through a regulatory body where none of these people are up for election. I cannot vote any of these people who make these disclosure uh, uh, rules. I cannot vote any of them out of office. So if we're going to have something that is this impactful on the economy, that is this, this impactful on companies, then for the love of all that is good, make it at least go through Congress so that if people vote on this, I can make sure they don't get reelected. Um, and so... I, I, I just it, it, if you can tell that I'm frustrated, it's because I am. This is the kind of stuff that just goes unseen, but this is the kind of stuff that adds up, that leads to inefficiencies in the market, and ultimately leads to worse material conditions for everyone involved. On an even more frustrating topic, uh, immigration, the Department of Homeland Security uh, per announced on Thursday kind of an overhaul of the asylum process. Now, I will say this uh, policy, this new asylum policy being an announced by the de Department of Homeland Security is not nearly as bad as I was kind of expecting. In fact, there may be even some good in here. Um, we actually won't know the uh, it will be formally uh, uh, published next uh, early next week, so we don't actually know for sure what exactly this new policy will look like. 
But uh, kind of generally speaking, what we know so far is that um, right now, um, when a migrant crosses, uh, enters the United States illegally, um, that migrant uh, can ask for asylum. And when they ask for asylum, they essentially have to go through a full court hearing to determine whether that their asylum claim is um, is. Uh, factual or just you know a a valid one or not. So right now, um, in order to qualify for asylum, the migrants have to be fleeing from persecution based on political opinion, religion, race, nationality, or uh, membership in a social group. So that is what qualifies someone for asylum right now. Now I want to you know kind of point out there that that is not there's nothing about economics there. Say so you have to be fleeing from persecution to qualify for asylum. If you're leaving a country for better economic opportunity, and that's why you want to come to the United States because of that economic opportunity, that does not qualify you for asylum, and you will be, be deported out of the country under these uh, under the current asylum uh, rules. So what this would do is this would is is allegedly supposed to streamline the asylum process. So instead of going through a full court hearing before your asylum claim is claim is heard, uh, you instead would be uh, you would go through a you'd be interviewed. You'd be interviewed by an asylum officer. So. Um, this process is actually it is considered friendlier towards asylum or f- towards migrants, um, but uh, they would cross the uh, they would get you know apprehended or whatever they would get interviewed by this asylum officer. That asylum officer would essentially uh, uh, say yes or no. Uh, if they are denied their asylum request, so in other words, if they are yes, then they're basically allowed to, you know, stay here under the asylum rules. If they are, are no, then they would be put into the, they would still get a, a, a hearing uh, then. So that, again, the goal is to streamline this process. I have no idea if this would actually streamline the process. I don't I don't really know enough about the uh, immigration raw rules or um, uh you know processes that uh, would that give me any a good idea about what this would do, or even an an idea about the consequences or potential um, results of this. But something has to be done about our immigration process. So the fact that there is a, going to be anything, and, and you know, from what I was re- from what I've been reading, it seems to be a pretty substantial uh, process change. Uh, that this, uh, I mean, at this point, I'm almost to the point where just anything would be better than what we have now. Uh, ideally, and I, this is something that Congress needs to act on. Congress is oh, the only, because uh, right now, so many of our immigration policy is determined by courts and by the law instead of by you know the actual uh, legislative branch coming up with laws that can be uh, enforced in an efficient and a clear way. Um, so Congress is the only branch that's really able to do anything about this, and they desperately need to do something about our immigration system because it is a train wreck. Uh, if you ask anyone who has gone through the process, it takes forever, it's expensive, and uh, it is it leads to this kind of uh, situation where we have now where you have people who come to the United States illegally and then they don't know if they can stay or if they they do stay and they wait for a court hearing but then they don't show up for a court hearing and it's just it's so convoluted and so we need to do something about this Congress needs to do something about this um, but w- I'm interested to see what this new policy uh, what the results are whether it is good whether it actually does streamline the process make it ba- basically it's supposed to shorten it from you know years the the asylum process to uh, months up to a year, uh, which is significantly shorter. So we'll see if it does that or if it just is one way 
uh, one fix that you know can't really fix anything. Uh, it's just as more rule changes, not really a fix at all. So uh, I want to keep an eye on that and uh, and see where that uh, takes us. And now on to a quick hit. I do just want to briefly talk about uh, Donald Trump's influence in the Republican Party. So this week, he withdrew his support or endorsement uh, for Mo Brooks in Alabama. On That was on Wednesday. Uh, so Mo Brooks he is currently a House rep in Alabama, and he is running now for the Senate seat in Alabama. He is a huge MAGA guy. He has been a, a supporter of Donald Trump. He spoke at Donald Trump's January 6th rally. Um, he has continually reinforced the notion or the idea that the election was stolen, was fraudulent, um, and that uh, Donald Trump uh, should be president right now. So he has been as as pro-Trump, as MAGA as you can get. Um, but uh, so, so why did Donald Trump withdraw his support, if that's the case? And that is because uh, Mo Brooks is not doing as well as everyone, uh, as he initially was in Alabama. So he um, got the endorsement, Trump's endorsement, early on. He took a early lead in Alabama and then has done nothing but gone down. There's a variety of different reasons. One, apparently, is that he's not a great fundraiser, and uh, people in the state of Alabama have better relationships, have, uh, you know, are out raising him as well. Um, but because uh, this, he had this early lead and is now fading, he is, um, like, in third place now. He's polling in third place. And Donald Trump can't be associated with a loser, so he's now withdrawn his support. Um, what now? What this tells me, what this is, you know, what a lot of people are saying is that this is is showing uh, Donald Trump's waning influence in the Republican Party. If his endorsement really meant that much, then Mo Brooks would be leading. Uh, the same thing in Georgia. So in Georgia, Brian Kemp is the governor. Uh, David Perdue is now running in the against uh, Brian Kemp for the Republican nomination. Uh, David Perdue is resp- is um, endorsed by Donald Trump as well. Um, David Perdue, uh, and uh, so Brian Kemp has, you know, kind of caught the ire of Donald Trump uh, because he did not, he refused to call a special session, and uh, he basically accepted the results of the 2020 election, and so Donald Trump is particularly after um, Brian Kemp and wants revenge on Brian Kemp and has endorsed David Perdue, but again, David Perdue is behind Brian Kemp in the polls, and so we see here that first, I mean, state Politics is different than national politics. Um, state politics, there's just different dynamics, different relationships that are built in state politics. But this, it, again, it is showing us that Donald Trump may not have the influence in the Republican Party that he wants, well, definitely that he once had, but also that uh, others may uh, think that he has or that he thinks that he has. And I, look, I'm open that I, I don't like Donald Trump. I um, didn't vote for him in 2020. I don't think he's uh, conservative. I think 2020 election, uh, his refusal to accept the results is despicable. I think his um, rhetoric uh, led to January 6th and the uh, storming of the Capitol, uh, and then his reaction to that was despicable. So I'm not a fan. I hope his uh, influence continues to wane. Uh, I think there's early signs, and these are pretty you know big signs that it is, uh, but uh, you never know um, until, you know, People tune in again, and whether and you you really tell whether they still like Donald Trump or not, whether he runs from 2024. So there's still potential that his influence is still around. Um, but I'm I'm uh, I'm hoping these signs uh, point to uh, its continue uh, waning in uh, the Republican Party. Now on to international news. There's been nothing really in terms of international news except for Ukraine. Uh, again, uh, Russia, Ukraine, the situation has pretty much remained the same. Uh, in fact, now it seems to be just a war of attrition. Uh, Russia is basically stopped. They continue to 
um, bombard Ukrainian cities and civilians. Uh, they the UK, Ukrainians continue to fight. Zelensky continues to lead. One aspect of this that I do want to point out because there was some reporting on it is that roughly 10 million Ukrainians have left their homes. So that is left their homes. They could have moved to another part of Ukraine. So 10 million have already left their homes. That is about a fourth of the country's population. So 25% have left their homes in some capacity. And then out and then uh, out of that, 3.5 million have left the country altogether. Um, so that is a huge chunk. I warned about this when the buildup was happening, that there would be a refugee crisis in Europe if this happened. And we're seeing the uh, we're seeing that uh, indeed. Uh, Moldova, which is right next to Ukraine, has taken in 100,000 Ukrainians. This is in spite of the fact that Moldova is one of the smallest and poorest countries in Eastern Europe. And yet they're c- continuing to take in uh Ukrainians. The U.S. just announced that they would accept 100,000 Ukrainian uh, refugees. This is in spite of a Biden administration who once capped uh, uh, refugees from anywhere in the world at 125,000, so he has drastically upped that. Poland is has brought in 2.2 million refugees from Ukraine, and then Romania and Hungary are both between something like 300 to 600,000 uh, refugees. I have said before, I think uh, accepting refugees uh, from a country like Ukraine is uh, in the best interest of a country. I think it's in the best interest of the United States. I wish that we would accept more than 100,000 Ukrainians. I I wish we'd have an open-door policy that we'd let anyone and all in who wants to come. Um, I hate the fact that we are so—that we cap refugees. Uh, Again, I think we should vet. I think we should make sure they're safe, but I don't see any reason why we don't just accept them— uh, whenever they want to come, because as long as they're safe, because uh, at the end of the day, they are going to, they're, uh, like I've said before, some of the best citizens, some of the most productive, some of the, the most appreciative of American uh, ideals, American society, American democracy. Uh, and so I, I wish we would accept more, but 100,000 is a good start. Um, and I, and I want to continue to see the, the effects of this refugees uh, crisis throughout Europe. We saw, you know, the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, throughout Europe and and the impacts, uh, lar- I mean, some uh, believe that that was largely responsible for Brexit. Brexit was a product of that ref- senior Syrian refugee crisis. It's one of the immigration policies of European countries throughout Europe, um, and that is why Britain decided to leave the EU. Uh, whether that's I mean, true or not, I, I don't necessarily know, but um, I, I'm interested to see whether something like that or you know, kind of the rippling effects of this refugee crisis throughout Europe, because right now that you know the entire world is behind and supportive of Ukraine, but uh, it'd be interesting to see. It will be interested, interesting to see whether that continues or whether when you know some of these refugees start to outwork uh, people in the, their um, home country, whether that uh, changes some perspectives, some opinions. Um, and, and, you know, politics in general, as we get further away from the invasion and kind of the um, uh, passions uh, don't run as high, whether that uh, makes people change their mind. Uh, I'm interested in all of that. I think that's all things to, uh, to be watching as we keep going. How many more refugees and Ukrainians are going to leave as Russia continues to bombard cities and kill civilians? Uh, will more and more um, leave? What will that do to then the uh, the fight of the Ukrainian uh, military? Will that uh, reduce morale? Will that reduce manpower? Uh, all of those things we can we are still watching. We still don't know the impact, and those are impacts that we may not even know until years down the line. And so, uh, but but we're seeing kind of the start of that right now, um, and we just continue to watch that and see where it goes. 
And now it's time for the breakdown of the breakdown where I talk about my newsletter, the Burnett Breakdown on Substack that you can subscribe to there. Um, this week, uh, so I did not write one last week uh, because I had other stuff going on, but this week I did write one and it is uh, about um, the Daily Wire started a razor business. Um, so typically, I, I say this in the, in the newsletter, I don't like to give people or give attention to people who are desperately looking for it. And I think uh, that in this case, the Daily Wire definitely was looking for attention. Um, I think the Daily Wire frequently looks for it just for attention, but um, they announced in a commercial that they were launching launching a razor company called Jeremy's Razor. This is kind of named after Jeremy Boring, the CEO slash co-founder of the Daily Wire. Um, and in the uh, commercial, they make clear that they are withdrawing or they are um, they are starting this business to compete with Harry's Razor Company um, because Harry's withdrew um, their advertising from uh, the Daily Wire. This is in response to, I think it's Michael Knowles, one of the Daily Wire hosts, uh, was talking about transgender issues. And I'm sure uh, I didn't see the comment exactly that, you know, changed everything, but I'm sure it was something along the lines of men being men, women being women. Um, just the more conservative approach to these transgender issues. And in response to that, um, the uh, Harry's Razor Company left, um, refused to advertise with them boy, um, in, in a form of boycott. And the Daily Wire is starting this Razor Company. And um, as I say, I, I'm just cautious about it. I have hesitations. First, um, my first hesitation is just that it creates this um, economic silo where uh, so right now, if if I do something that either my employer doesn't like, or if my com- if a company does something that uh, is immoral or is just socially unacceptable, um, they will suffer the consequences of that. The, the consumers uh, will refuse to buy their product, um, things like that. And so the market, as I talked about on my last newsletter, serves as some sort of um, more uh, intermediary between parties that don't necessarily. Uh, get along, they don't necessarily like each other, they don't necessarily see eye to eye on anything. It just forces them to treat each other in a certain way. And the, and there will be consequences of that. And so if you want to be successful, if you want to have a thriving business, if you want to grow your business, then you need to act in socially acceptable ways. And these socially acceptable ways are things like hard work, you need to be honest, you need to be respectful, you need to be kind, just things like that. And when you ref- when you don't do those things, then uh, the the market will take hold. People will stop buying those products. Like I said, well, as the Daily Wire continues to set up their own ecosystem, their own uh, you know conservative everything, conservative razor company, conservative movies that you watch, and as consumers continue to. Uh, all- you know, get separated into this these economic categories, uh, like uh, Jeremy Boring said that they he wants to uh, rip the economy into two spheres, into you know a progressive and a, a conservative sphere. As that happens, what I worry is that behavior is only going to get more radical. So as conservatives can basically suffer no consequences for being as radical as they can be, uh, they will uh, go that route. Uh, and, and I don't mean like, again, I, everyone should know that I'm, I'm tried to, I'm principally conservative. Like I do not, I'm not, I'm unashamedly conservative. And yet I think that it is good that conservatives are exposed to progressives. Like, I like reading progressives. I like hearing from progressives. Um, I like it because I could be wrong. I very well could be wrong. Um, And I'm probably wrong about a lot. 
And progressives, while I think they're you know generally wrong, could very well be right about some stuff. And so the way that I uh, act or the ideas I have uh, are shaped and molded sometimes by progressives. And if I silo myself out, if I separate myself out, then that can lead me to have either wrong ideas or act just in uh, in ways that uh, are you know creating straw man or are uh, irresponsible or are immature or are mean or uh, things of that nature. And so as uh, as we um, as conservatives uh, build out this network, that is a uh, a potential outcome. And what I think is the better solution is to. If you want to start a razor company, then start a razor company and don't make it uh, simply conservative. Um, the Daily Wire made clear that it was directed and targeted at conservatives. And so, uh, if we just, you know, start if if people just start a razor company and then just stay apolitical instead of uh, turning it into, well, I shave with this razor because I'm a conservative. It's like no, just shave. And the other thing, the other hesitation I have is that it just feeds this conservative victim mentality. So. I do not care if Harry's hates me. So in the commercial, over and over and over again, talks about not giving your money to people who hate you and companies that hate you. And I just don't care if a company hates me. First of all, a company is not a person. A company is full of people. I don't care if every single person in a company hates me. I just don't care. Are they treating me well? Do they have a good product? Does that product serve me and my purposes? Okay. As long as they aren't actively, you know, working against, like, so say, if they are do- participating in immoral behavior, something like, um, you know, uh, forced labor, or um, even maybe like donating to causes that I disagree with, then I can see a justification for setting up uh, and and not buying products. But other than that. I don't care if a company uh, disagrees with me. I don't care if they attack my ideas. They're not attacking me personally, and they're not treating me any differently. So I just think we have to grow up. We have to get over this idea that everyone has to agree with me. Because it really is, in an ironic way, it's similar to the transgender issue, where conservatives feel um, that they have to be affirmed. Their ideas have to be affirmed by people they don't even know, by people that don't care about them, but they, they want that affirmation. Uh, that's the same thing that's going on with the uh, transgender issue, the gender issues, is that these uh, you know, these people with these um, gender ideas want the, their gender ideas to be affirmed by everyone else, not just you know, to be uh, let, uh, let, uh, let alone to do whatever they want. Um, and so I, I'm just tired of this victim mentality, and I think that the, uh, the Daily Wire and their new Razor company just kind of feeds into that, and that commercial definitely did so. And with that, that is the end of the podcast this week. Thank you for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, share, comment, do whatever you can to make this podcast go far and wide. And I hope that you will return next week.